All right, let's get in the message. Let's get in the message. All right, today I'm going to share a message, and it's regarding a truth that I have been chewing on for much of my youth. And it was a truth that I discovered and I chewed on as I was reading the scriptures in light of things that were preached from the pulpit as I grew up in a Presbyterian church. When I went to these evangelical retreats, a lot of the pastors, they would teach something similar, and I just, it didn't sit right with me. So I would search the scriptures to see if it was true, and I found it to be not true. But pastorally, I hadn't come to a full conclusion as, is this helpful for me to even teach this? And the teaching is pretty much our view of sin. Now, when I was growing up, the youth pastors will always tell us, all sin is sin. All sin is heinous and wicked before God. All sin is equal. All sin is displeasing to God. And therefore, all sin, don't sin. And then they define what sin is, right? In the church, some churches, uh, getting a tattoo is sin. Now, I found out Mark Driscoll doesn't agree with that, right? Mark Driscoll actually has church members that are tattoo artists and he encourages uh, his newcomers to go to the tattoo artist and, and get a get a tattoo a, a new covenant tattoo All right. I don't know how I feel about that don't do that don't do that to yourself but yeah I mean, I mean different churches define sins differently some churches will straight up just say uh, don't drink alcohol drinking alcohol is sin And, uh, you know, if you sin in that way, it's the same thing as if you commit a murder. And then, you know, pastors will say, well, Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard long ago, don't commit murder. But if you hate your brother from your heart, same as murder. Right. And so it's the same thing. The prisoner that's in locked up for murder. Every time you hate your brother, you're just like that murderer. So you need to get rid of hatred in your heart. Because God sees both sins as same, as evil. So get rid of it. They say the same thing about lust. You know, stop, stop condemning Bill Clinton. Because every time you look at something lustful, you're doing the same sin before God. Before God, it's the same thing. All right, and so what happens is it simplifies our approach towards sin. Makes us think all sin is equal. All sin is the same. And so it almost uh, simplifies it to the point where we numb ourselves from a very good discernment regards to sin. Now, I think as thinking Bible-believing Christians, we got to be discerning about the topic of sin. So today I'm going to talk about this. Because as I was reading the scriptures, I found out, man, not all sin is equal. In fact, what I see in the scriptures are there are different degrees of sin. So I'm going to go somewhere today. It might take a little time, but stay with me on the, on the journey. It's going to be a good ride. All right. Now, so are there degrees of sin? Let's get into this. Are there degrees of sin? If there are some pastors in here, you can scrutinize All right, my thinking. You can scrutinize my theology here, but look. This is what I believe. All right, I'm presenting to you what I see. Are there degrees of sin? Now, I say yes. 
But there is a doctrinal concern that we got to get out the way first. Okay? And that is that in a legal concern before God, all sin puts us in a place where we are deserving of God's judgment. In that sense, it doesn't matter if you robbed the bank or you stole one dollar from your, your parents' wallet or you lied on, or you cheated on your final. It don't matter. Any of those three sins will put you in a place where you are deserving of God's wrath and judgment against sin because God is holy. So in terms of a legal guilt before God, there is no particular discrimination. God calls us to holiness, and whether you rob a bank or you steal a dollar, any of those sins, in its all its different degrees, would put you in a legal standing where you are now deserving of God's wrath and of His judgment. All right, and so it's like this. Check check this out. Think about it like this. Adam and Eve. The Bible says that Adam's sin put the whole human race under condemnation. Adam's Adam's sin happened thousands of years ago. And by the way, I believe Adam was a literal person. You know why? Because the New Testament writers, they see Adam as a literal person. And Jesus sees Adam as a literal person. Okay, so search the Bibles. It's all there. Okay, And so um, when Paul is talking about Adam, he says, In Adam, all uh, of us have been brought into condemnation. Now, think about that. Adam and Eve didn't commit some heinous sin like murder or like the genocide of all monkeys at that time or something. Like Adam and Eve didn't do something crazy heinous. They did something simple. They just ate a piece of fruit. We don't even know if they ate the whole fruit. Maybe they just got a couple bites and that was it. You're telling me thousands of years ago, somebody ate a piece of fruit and now I'm under condemnation? <laughs> it don't make no sense, right? It don't seem fair. But that's the judicial, legal aspect of man's condition before God. God said, don't eat of the fruit. And that means... That if you eat of it, you disobey, you despise the word of God. You make God out to be a liar because God said the day you eat of it, you will certainly die. And Satan came and said, you're not going to die. And Eve was like, really? Right? Satan always tries to take the word of God and twist it. And always said, did God really say that? God didn't really mean that. Right? And then he leads us into sin. Now. Eating a piece of fruit has brought all of us into legal, judicial, a curse for all of mankind out of which we need and we, are, uh, we need redemption to be saved from the wrath of God. Um, also, the Bible teaches, uh, Paul quotes uh, Deuteronomy 27, 26 in Galatians, and he says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide for, by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Another place in James, it says, uh, it says pretty much like this. It's like this. He says, the God who said, do not kill, do not murder, 
is the same God who says, do not covet. And so if a man keeps all of the Ten Commandments, but he falters on one, he, it's like as if he has transgressed them all. That's what James says. So, you know, murder is pretty heinous. But the same God who said do not murder is the same God who said do not covet. So if you covet but you have not murdered, before God, now in a human perspective, that might seem like, whoa, 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 whoa. But before God's holiness, it makes absolute sense. The standard isn't like, do not murder. You can do a few coveting, but you can't murder. Now you're just standing before God's changes. No, the standard is holiness. And so if you commit any of those, then it's like transgressing them all. So therefore, in terms of legal guilt, all sins are equally bad because they all legally make us guilty before a holy God. So let's get that out of the way. In that respect, that concern, that doctrinal concern, we want to put it away because we just dealt with it. Now, go with me now. All right, now we're going to go into degrees of sin. Aren't there degrees of sin? Now, on the other hand, some sins, they are worse than others. Some sins bring more harmful consequences to our lives than others. It can bring more harmful consequences to the lives of people around us more than others. And in terms of our relationship with God the Father, there are certain sins that will bring greater displeasure to God's heart than others. Okay, and there's plenty of biblical proof for this. Now, uh, here's some biblical proof, right? Jesus appears before Pilate. And for Pilate to sentence Jesus to death, an innocent man, because of social pressure, that was sin. For anybody to do that to any innocent man, that's sin. Right? But Jesus appeared before Pilate and said, He who delivered me to you is guilty of a greater sin. Right? Talk about, talk about Judas, that betrayer, the punk. That little punk. You're you, you doing bad right now, Pontius Pilate. But let me tell you, there's somebody who, who's badder than you. Somebody who's guilty of a greater sin than you. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 8, the Lord says to Ezekiel, you will see greater abominations. You will still see greater abominations which they will commit. All right? And so, there's one, once again, it's cleared in God's mind that there are great abominations and there are still greater abominations. Okay, this is going to minister to you. This is going to set you free today. Listen, stay with me. In Matthew 5, 19, Jesus said, whoever... Uh, relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches others to do the same will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, whoever relaxes, whoever relaxes one of the least of the law, one of the least aspects of the law uh, and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Meaning that there are commandments and laws that are more important than others. Oh, that doesn't sound right, Christian. Pastor Christian, I don't know about that. I just said it. Let me say it again. There are certain commandments. What did I say? (laughs) There are certain commandments that uh, are more important than others. Okay. 
uh, in terms of, uh, I, I'll get into that. Jesus, another place, he said, whoever causes one of these little ones to sin is better for a millstone to be tied around his neck and for him to be thrown into the sea than for that person to cause any of these little ones to sin. Man, when I read that as a child, I was scared. Because all my friends were little kids. Meaning that if I cause any of my little, my, my friends, that means I'm causing children to sin. So I was scared. It's better for a millstone to be tied around my neck and for me thrown into the sea. Isn't that what gangsters do to people when they want to get rid of their body for evidence, you know? And Jesus says, it's better than for you to cause somebody to sin. Cause one of these little ones to sin. You know what I mean? You ever, you ever look at, you ever consider, you ever, you ever heart, your heart ever burn as you're growing up? And you see people that are much older coming into your middle school. At least this is what I saw in my school, okay? Kids that should have graduated high school two, three years ago, 16, 18 years old. They come to my middle school and then they, they, they play their game with all the girls. These girls are like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, right? All of my black friends, my, my black female friends, I remember in sixth grade having a conversation with them. And they all told me they had lost their virginity two years ago. One or two years ago. That means they lost their virginity in fourth and fifth grade. I'm like, what? I didn't know my classmates were sexually active like that. They're like, no. These guys were 16, 17, 18 years old. Some of them even older than that. And when I heard that, my heart burned. I said, that's not right. I don't even know if I'll define that as consensual sex. And, you know, one, one of the girls you know, implied that it wasn't consensual. You know, it was, it was pressured, coerced. And that's the same thing as rape, especially when you're doing it to a little kid. Jesus said, person who does stuff like that, oh, snap. It is better for them to get whacked by some gangsters than for them to cause these little ones to sin. Because let me tell you, my father in heaven is gangster. That person has something else coming if they think they can get away with that. Uh, so, one of the reasons why I really wanted to preach this message is because I'm reading Systematic Theology by um, Wayne Grudem. And I disagree with Grudem on certain points, but you know, generally I'm reformed, so there's a lot of things I agree with. And he's, he's a very smart guy. And he had a whole chapter on sin. And I'm reading it. I'm like, what the? David, I mean, Wayne Grudem, he looked through my journal. How did he get all these points? It was exactly the things I was thinking. All right. So I'm telling you right now, I feel like he copied me. Then I copied him. Okay. But anyway, he's, he's a little more articulate than I, than I am. So I'm going to read sometime, I'm, I'm gonna read some quotes from Grudem. Because it's exactly what I've been thinking and believing. He says, in general, we may say that some sins have more harmful consequences than others if they bring more dishonor to God or if they cause more harm to ourselves, to others, or to the church. 
Moreover, those sins that are done willfully, repeatedly, and knowingly with a calloused heart are more displeasing to God than those that are done out of ignorance and are not repeated, or they are done with a mixture of good and impure motives and are followed by remorse and repentance. You know, in the Old Testament, there were actually laws that ordained a different punishment for unintentional sins. Let me tell you something right now. The Bible says unintentional sins is still sin. So if somebody, somebody was like, you know, you, you, talk, you talk to somebody and they're not a Christian yet. And, and you, you say the Bible says in the Ten Commandments, you should not covet. Have you ever coveted something? I, mean, I do it all the time. So, well, the Bible says that's sin. So, well, I didn't know about that. So I guess God will forgive me. <laughs> Wrong answer. Even if you're a baby believer, you come into church and you're like, well, I don't know. I, I don't know sexual immorality. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I didn't know. I did all these things. I didn't know. Well, shouldn't God forgive me because I didn't know? The Bible says, ain't wrong answer. Unintentional sins, sins that are done out of ignorance, they are still sin before God. But God does see it in a different light because he provides for a different penalty for unintentional sin. Isn't that interesting? Okay, it's in Leviticus chapter 4 if you ever want to look at that. Uh, In Numbers chapter 15, God says this. God says, the person who does anything with a high hand. In NIV, it says defiantly. Whether he is native or a foreigner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people. So God distinguishes between a person who does unintentional sin or sin out of ignorance and a person who does it defiantly. With a high hand. And there is different degrees of atonement, punishment that is made for those sins. All right? You got to stay with me here. All right? Uh, let's talk about a good example. Let's talk about, let's talk about an example of, it, of the varying consequences, the harmful consequences of sin. If all sin is, is equal, then all consequences should also be equal. Right? But no. There are varying levels of consequences because there are varying degrees of sin. So, for example, if a man was to covet his neighbor's wife, that is sin before God. Here's the thing. Nobody knows about it. You never talk to anybody else about it. But every time, any time, if you have been coveting, brothers and sisters, if you've been coveting Hewan, or you have been coveting Anita, all right, you've been coveting your neighbor's wife. That is sin before God. The consequences may be, the consequences may be that you get mad awkward when they come around you. I don't know. The consequences may not be that heavy, but they are there. But secondly, if that same man not only coveted but actually started to flirt. And eventually cause her to commit adultery with him. That will be a more serious sin before God's eyes. And it would have more harmful consequences. You guys hearing me? Even if you don't get found out. There will be harmful consequences. And eventually you will be found out. I believe for every 
born again believer that God really loves, he exposes it. If he doesn't expose it, man, we might not really see that person in heaven. Because think about how God dealt with all of the people in the, in the, in the Bible that, that sinned. He, he would confront them. He gave them, his grace went out to confront them and expose it. Anyway, now, but let's go a step further. If in the course of this adultery, if the man gets mad paranoid and he hires a hitman, a gangster, to go and whack the husband, and the husband is now dead with a millstone tied around his head, is in the bottom of Han River, okay? That will be even a more serious sin. And the harmful consequences will be devastating. It's one thing for the children to have to deal with their parents, with, with their mommy committing adultery. It's another thing for daddy, daddy to be dead. All right? What? Oh, Diddy. No, daddy. Daddy to be dead. It's another thing for daddy to be dead. This is harmful consequences. But let me bring in another variable. There are degrees of sin that are also connected to the degree of maturity and responsibility that you have. So let me give you another example here real quick. Let's say there is a non-believer and he's got anger issues, rage issues. And this person becomes a Christian. And six months after this person is going to Bible study and he's growing and he's really happy as a Christian, right? There's some altercation that Satan brings up on the, on the streets. And somebody bumps him the wrong way and, you know, they look at each other funny and Satan's just trying to really attack him. Get, get to him in, early in his faith. And this guy explodes. As a baby Christian, he just blah, blah, knocks the other guy out. I mean, I, I had so many stories like that. I've heard so many stories like this. Okay. Now, that's one example. But imagine with me, if a pastor <laughs> is walking down the street with a bunch of his church members... And they're just out having Christian fellowship. This person's been a, Christ, a fat pastor for 10 years, been a Christian for 20 years, happy pastor. And Satan sets something up so that it aggravates the pastor. And the pastor's like, I, I can't believe you just hit me like that. I can't believe you looked at me like that. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did this. I can't believe you, 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 you touched my wife. You pushed my wife out the way. I can't believe you did that. And the pastor explodes. <laughs> And just, he used to be, let's say the pastor used to be a mixed martial arts fighter. <laughs> this, this pastor is no pushover, man. The pastor, once it, it, the tipping point happens, man, he just goes crazy on the stranger on the street. Now, if that happened, God's displeasure for the pastor will be far greater for the identical sin that's committed by both individuals. Why? Because the amount of maturity and responsibility you walk in, it determines how God judges you. If in our previous example of adultery, let's say this 
this adultery uh, guy is not just any old guy. He is actually in a position of power, like a CEO or uh, like a president or a pastor. If that guy in the adultery example, he, he, he uh, commits adultery and on top of that, whacks off the husband and he's in a position of power. Oh, it's another level from what I mentioned previously. And so, you know, what I just described for, for people who are figuring it out. I'm talking about David. Right? David did the same exact thing I just described. He not only coveted, he went further and committed adultery. He not only committed adultery, he killed off Bathsheba's husband to cover up the evidence. And he had hardened and calloused his heart. And on top of that, he was the king of Israel. All those things God took into consideration as God looked upon his sin. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I'm sorry, preaching class. I forgot to mention that part. You might want to think twice. About taking the pulpit here at New Philly. The moment you take the pulpit, oh, you are at another level in which God is going to judge you with greater strictness. He expects a higher standard. And you know what? We do the same thing with church membership and leadership. If you're a newcomer, you know, you're doing something foolish. Cute, that's a newcomer. He's... The newcomer may be even a baby believer. You know, you know, baby believer, that's what baby believers, that's what babies do. They spill things, they make mistakes. It's cute. But when the person becomes a member, you know, now our expectation of them goes up. And then when that person becomes a reserve leader, our expectation goes up even higher. Active leader, it goes even higher. So, if a church member does something stupid, commits some kind of sexual sin, sexual immorality, go visit some prostitute or go sleeps with an old girlfriend or something. I may not take church discipline measures on that person. But if the worship leader was to do the same thing, oh, we need to talk right away. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? All right. Uh, in Luke chapter 12, I want you to turn to this. This is the main text I want us to look at. Luke chapter 12, verse 47, 48. And in this sense, the fear of the Lord, it's, it makes sense. It, it's so important. You, you're, the fear of the Lord doesn't really makes sense in a paradigm where all sin is just equal and simplistic. But when you start thinking, oh, there are different degrees of sin, different consequences, different uh, levels of displeasure I'm causing to God's heart, then it makes sense. Oh, you better fear the Lord. And the more responsibility you get, there should be a greater measure of fear on your heart. Because God's not playing. Okay? So look at Luke, Luke chapter 12, verse 47, 48. Check this out. I'm reading from the ESV. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beatdown. Sorry, severe beating. 
just contextualizing it for you. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. For everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Now we have a church full of leaders. We have a church full of leaders. And I need the leaders to understand this. That there are different degrees of sin. The foolishness in this term, what Pastor Sonny said, it should ring true to your personal holiness. When she said, the old grace has run out. Oh, you better, you better believe that when you, are, when you become a more and more active leader, more and more mature leader in the house. Oh, you better believe that. The foolishness that God tolerated in your old season, he ain't going to tolerate in the new dispensation. He ain't going to tolerate once you reach this level of maturity. So the fear of the Lord needs to be on your heart. It's not about minimizing it. It's about eradicating it from your life. Y'all feel me right now, right? Now this is a message the American church needs. Why? Because to American pastors, all sin is sin. All sin is equal. I can... I can Pray for forgiveness for coveting, and I can pray for forgiveness for adultery, and I can pray for forgiveness for murder, I can pray for forgiveness for homosexuality, I can pray for forgiveness for this and that. All sin is sin. God will forgive it. And so we have these pastors, they're rising in the ranks, rising in authority, and they take this foolish belief with them. And they get to that position of authority, and they think, well, all sin is sin. God forgave me of the petty stuff, he's going to forgive me of the serious stuff. So, let me just try to get away with it. Not knowing that when the announcement goes out, what happened to the pastor, what, nothing happened to the pastor, by the way. I hate it when people use that. They try to, you know, the word affair is not an accurate description of what happens in adultery. You don't have a, an affair. You know, we have an affair when we sit down and talk business. We can have an affair. We can have an affair. Man, the word affair has taken on such meaning. I can't even think of it in a different way right now. Anyway, (laughs) affair is a lighter way of saying what really happened. And, you know, and people say, well, I fell into it. They ain't fell into it. You fall into a mud pit. (laughs) You don't fall into adultery. You know? You know, I was just walking to my hotel room after I preached at the church. And I just fell. And I was... (laughs) Next day, I'm committing adultery. <laughs> Man, it fall into nothing. And nothing happened to you. Right? And so, I think mature spiritual leaders need to get this in their head. Need to keep the consequences right before them. And let's talk about not even maybe pastors or spiritual leaders. Let's talk about just Men. Men. Let's talk about your purity for a second. Not all sin is equal. Meaning, meaning that when you look at, when you lust after some girl walking down the street, it's not the same as you shacking up with a prostitute. You looking at porn on the internet, it's not the same as you sleeping with your old girlfriend. You having oral sex is not the same as you going all the way. That's also different degrees as well. 
You go all the way, you might have a consequence, what I would call a blessing. Your girlfriend might get pregnant. We go oral sex, you might you probably won't get pregnant. Unless you you didn't call it you call you didn't call it, you just called it oral sex, but it was actually more than oral sex. I'm sorry I'm using oral sex. Are there any children in here? There's no children in here, right? Uh, Judah don't know. It's not the same. Now let me let me all the men think about this. The consequences of your sexual activity is going to affect your future marriage. Like it or not. Like it or not, it's going to affect your future marriage. And if you don't bring the grace of God in, and you don't apply the word of God to deal with those past sins, and you think just getting married, it's all going to be put under the table, put under just, you know, it's not going to affect you, you're wrong, you're dead wrong. Why do you think so many men end up walking away from their homes, walking away from their families, fighting themselves? They fall into adultery. Why do you think they do that? Because they've been tripping all their life. Tripping. 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 Oh, I met the wife. I met my future wife. Let me marry her. All right. No more tripping, right? No, you're still tripping because you never dealt with it. You never dealt with these habits. You never dealt with these mindsets. You never dealt with these uh, inclinations, whatever you want to call them. Absolute foolishness. Women too, same thing goes for you. Same thing goes for you. Now, so I'm, I've, I'm trying to prove that in terms of results, consequences, and in terms of God's displeasure, there are certain sins that are much far worse than others. Now, what I want to cover here real quick is uh, I want to deal with the Roman Catholic teaching between what they call mortal sins and venial sins. Venial. Is that, am I saying that right? Venial. Venial. I get that right? Anyway, isn't there like a movie, like Seven, where like it lists like the seven mortal sins? Anybody know what those mortal sins are? Anyone has a Catholic background? You, you know what the mortal sins are? Are you a good Catholic? You know? Okay. All right, all right. Let's stop here. All right. Now, this distinction in degrees of sin does not endorse the Roman Catholic teaching of venial and mortal sins. Now, in the Roman Catholic teaching, a venial sin is a, uh, venial sin is a sin that can be forgiven. And so sins like um, lying, stealing, you know, those things are uh, anger. Those things are forgivable. You go to the priest and, you, you know, you do, you do your penance, uh, you do your confession, and, and it, those sins are absolved, right? Um, Mortal sins are sins that are, quote-unquote, unforgivable. And so, if you commit a mortal sin, a venial sin can be forgiven in this life, or if you don't quite deal with those sins, you you get dealt with it in purgatory. So you go to this place, this intermediate place between, you know, punishment and heaven, hell and heaven, heaven and hell, right? And you go to this purgatory and you get purged of your sin, and then you make your way up, right? 
Now, for a mortal sin, it cannot be forgiven. It actually causes a person to be excluded from the kingdom of God. Now, one famous mortal sin that I think directly applies to Korea is suicide. Now, most of y'all knuckleheads who came into this church, you thought this Catholic teaching was an evangelical one. And you're wrong. It's not many uh, people, the reformers did not support this kind of view. Okay? We believe that the blood of Christ covers all sin. Okay? And so, let me just say it out loud. Suicide does not send you to hell. If you know people who've committed suicide, if they were a true born-again believer, they are in heaven. And if you are really, really depressed and you are contemplating suicide, you don't have to fear going to hell. I don't know if that encourages you to commit suicide, <laughs> but I, not, I want you to know the truth. I want you to know the truth. Because what? It's making you feel trapped. Well, my life is horrible. I want to escape it. But if I try to escape it through suicide, the church tells me I'm going to hell. So I can't go to hell. I can't. I don't want to stay here. So I'm just trapped. It's it's fear. It creates fear. Um, Now, this teaching, when misrepresented, misinterpreted, can lead to fear, despair, and an inability for a person to have the assurance of uh, assurance of forgiveness. You know, if they commit something that grave, that serious, they may live their whole lives thinking, God's not going to forgive me of this. You know, a murderer that thinks that his murder is such a mortal sin, it excludes him from the kingdom of God. He's living his whole life trying to make up for that murder with never getting an assurance that he can be forgiven of that sin. And even the Catholic Church telling them, we're not sure. Was it intentional? You know? And so in these, in these ways, it leads to very unbiblical conclusions. Now, the biblical support the Catholic Church uses is a good one. It's First John chapter 5, verse 16 to 17. It says, if anyone sees his brother committing, and this is in one translation, it says, if any brother sees uh, another committing what is not a mortal sin, he will ask and God will give him life for those whose sin is not mortal. But there is sin which is mortal. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin which is mortal. This is where to get the teaching from. They say, say, if somebody committed mortal sin, don't pray for them. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that is mortal. That is just a lot more serious. And so the Catholics use that text uh, to come up with their doctrine, to justify their doctrine. Now, The Greek phrase here, translated mortal, is more literally translated as toward death. So a lot of the more modern translations will translate it uh, with toward death or onto death included in the translation. Now, Wayne Grudem believes that what the Bible is talking about here in 1 John chapter 5, he believes that the Bible is talking about sins that lead to Permanent, eternal death. And so Grudem interprets that to be, well, what's the only sin that leads to eternal death? Rejecting Jesus Christ. So uh, Grudem says, well, that the Bible is saying here 
you know, there are sins, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is a mortal sin. There is one that leads to eternal death. And that sin is the sin of rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a prideful, stupid, ignorant thing to do. What a wicked thing to do. Rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't interpret it that way. I interpret it to mean that there are sins that lead to death. Meaning physical death. Now you don't have to agree with me. My interpretation is pretty strong. All right. Let me read to you again with the Greek, more literal Greek involved. It says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, lying, stealing, those things don't lead to physical death, does it? He should ask and God will give him life. But to those who commit sins that do, uh, yeah, God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. But there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. Let me get that right. Yeah, that there are all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. But it's also saying there, are, there is sin that leads to death. Okay, what I'm saying here is, if you sin in serious ways, repeated ways, or in certain degrees, or in certain positions of authority, that sin would lead to death. Meaning, God will kill you. Like a gangster that's saying his henchmen are just going rebel, they're getting rebellious, they're not in subordination. God will just be like, you know what? You are ruining my glory on the earth. Can you stop calling yourself a Christian? And God never says that. But there are certain sins that I believe leads to physical death. And I, 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 there, I believe there's biblical evidence for that. And I believe that when God does this, it is an act both of judgment and grace. Okay? Let me, let me explain that. It's an act of judgment in terms of you've piled up such serious sins in the highest degree such, to such a place or you've done a certain sin that God just says, man, that just, you need to die for that sin. When you commit those sins, God will judge you. But God is also doing it in grace. Why? Because if he leads, lets you keep living for another 30, 40 years, imagine the damage you're going to cause. And so it's an act of grace. And says, you know what? You're coming home today. David on? This foolishness stops today. You're coming home today. And uh, anyway, it'll take me a long time to, to give you a lot of biblical examples. But you know, they're there. right? They're there. Uh, I'm trying to think of one right off the top of my head. Yeah, Ananias and Sapphira. That's a good one, right? They lied about an offering, a love offering that they initiated. <laughs> they didn't have to do it. God didn't say, I command you to give this love offering, sell all your possessions and give it to the apostles. No. They initiated it. The Bible doesn't say God commanded them anything. No prophetic word. They just did it on their own accord. And then they sold the property, got the proceeds, and then held back. It might have been 5%. One percent. Maybe it was five dollars. Oh, let me just get five dollars for some cookies later. (laughs) But they held back some of the proceeds. But then when they came to the apostles, they said, this is everything. 
And then revelation, revelation came to the apostles. And Peter said, how, how has what Satan so filled your heart that you have, you have lied? You have not lied to, you have, that you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You have not lied to man, but you have lied to God. And as he finished that sentence, Ananias dropped dead. Oh, snap. Sins that lead to physical death. There you go, right there. Messing up the offering. <laughs> That's a sin that will lead to physical death. Now, there's different explanations for why God did it that, at that time. And then, you know, I don't have time to go over all that, right? And then, and then, you know, to confirm it, his wife comes in. And then they, they test her. <laughs> you know, it's not like the body of the husband was lying. They, they hit the body. <laughs> and they're like, well, let's see what the wife does. Wife comes in. So, Sephira, did you bring in all the money from the sales? She's like, yeah, we did. Said, the men who have carried away your husband's body is right here for yours. And then, she died. That's crazy stuff right there, man. And uh, I also believe that in church discipline, when, when, Satan, when Apostle Paul says, hand the man over to Satan. I believe when, when we hand the man over to Satan, God's chastisement falls on that person. And it's there in love to turn him back and re- in repentance. But if that person continues to callous their hearts and does not turn, I believe handing a man over to Satan eventually, because what does the Bible teach? Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. All wages of sin is death. Here's the thing. Everybody has a payroll. The wages of sin is death. But everybody has wages that you've earned in your life. Every time you sin, you're, you're piling up those wages. Now, the blood of Christ cancels it all. But if you continue to sin after you know that revelation and you refuse to turn away, that, those wages, when it reaches a certain point, it just produces what it needs to produce. The wages of sin is death. Man, let me tell you something right now. Let me tell you something, right? Adam and Eve, right? God told them, if you, you eat this fruit, you die. Right? What happened? They ate the fruit, and they didn't die. So what, did God lie? What happened? Did God lie? Do you know how old they were when they died? They were like a thousand years old. I forget, it was like 800, 900. They lived to like a thousand years old back then. Ain't that crazy? Imagine if you can live to a thousand years old. You might be like, oh, that's just biblical myth. Oh, it's just fairy tales. That's why I hate the Bible because the Bible just doesn't make any scientific sense. You knucklehead, study science. Science will tell you that physically we don't have to age. There's nothing in the environment that causes decay on your body. The reason you age is because there's a mechanism that goes off in your body and once it starts, your body starts to decay. If scientists are trying to stop that mechanism, they believe that they can have you live for a much longer time. Okay? So study science. Study science before you talk to me about fairy tales. Now, I believe this is what happened. People back then, they were living to 1,000 years old, 900 years old. You know what happened? Just three chapters later, Genesis chapter 6. God looks upon the world. 
All these people that are 900, 955th birthday. All right. Happy birthday to you. I'm going to give you 955 punches. Come here. <laughs> wicked people. They were so wicked. They were so wicked. God, God allowed them to die at a much later age and the whole world was filled with wickedness. So God says, you know what? I am so troubled by all of this. I'm going to kill y'all. I'm going to kill all y'all. Now, don't, don't tell me there's no concept of sin that leads to death. At that time, everybody who was living at the time of the flood, they reached that climax where God said, that's enough. I'm killing all y'all. And God in his grace set apart Noah and his family, saved them from the flood. And then at the flood, he said, I'm not going to strive with man's spirit forever. His limit will be 120 years. Ain't that the darnest thing? You might be like, well, I, I heard Guinness Book of Records says there was a woman that lived to 129. So therefore, you know, man, I bet that old woman didn't know how to count. Okay. <laughs> she probably so old she forgot. She, she messed up the count or something like that. Show me her birth certificate. All right. Anyway, and most people, they die between, you know, you know, it depends if you're, if, you're, if you're living in the inner city, you die at a much earlier age. <laughs> like, I'm serious. I mean, my friends, man. Anyway, you know, in Korea, man, it's, it's gone up. It's like 80-something now. It's like 81 is life expectancy. It's the highest in the world or something like that. Korea has one of the highest life expectancy in the world. They're taking all the vitamins and hanyak and all that stuff, man. It's, Koreans want to live forever. <laughs> So when God brings death, it's not just an act of judgment. I believe it's also an act of grace. You have to understand that if God didn't introduce death into this world, our world will be a dark place. But here's the thing. The same death that non-believers are subject to, we are also subject to physically. That means we have about the same amount of time on earth. What are you going to do with the amount of time God gives you before you hit death compared to a non-believer before they hit death? And if you want to hit death earlier, act a fool. Keep sleeping with your boyfriend, girlfriend. Keep going to the prostitutes. Keep oppressing the poor. Keep taking the briberies. Test God if you really want to. And you will find his word to be true. There are sins that lead to death. And the, and, 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 the, and the Apostle John here says, don't even pray for somebody like that. Because there are certain people, man, they just, you just got to leave them alone. That's what we do in church this man, isn't it? We excommunicate them. We hand them over to Satan. We say, you can't come back to the church any longer. We would love to keep reaching out to you. But the harm that you are bringing to this community is much heavier than any hope of you changing or hope of you turning your life around. You are calloused your heart and you are no longer under my spiritual leadership and chastisement and discipline. You're going to be under the direct God, direct discipline of God. Anyway, man, I went too long. All right, I got to wrap this up. All right, let me wrap this up. Let me wrap this up. Uh, uh, Rain Grudem points out four points why it's helpful to define different degrees of sin. All right, number one, he says, it helps us to know 
where we should put more effort in our attempts to grow in personal holiness. Number two, it helps us to decide when we should simply overlook a minor fault and when we should confront somebody. Third, it may help us to decide when church discipline is appropriate. You know, I still have some of my pastors, they come up to me and and something happens with somebody at the church, a member of the church, and they go, so should we... Should we practice church discipline on them? I'm like, no. Why are you thinking that way? Right, it's because we've been, we've been doctrinated with this belief that all sin is equal. But a discerning man is able to draw it out. I'm not saying I'm a discerning man, but I'm just saying, all right? A discerning man is able to draw that out. All right? So we, third, uh, it helps us to assess when church discipline is appropriate. And fourth, this distinction also helps us to justify civil laws. Right? If all sin is created equal, then everybody should go uh, get the same jail sentence for whatever crime you commit. But what do we do? You, you guys ever study, uh, you ever study justice? You ever study, um, watch CSI, watch, um, what are the, what are the popular shows? Law and Order. Right, when you study those things, you realize, man, killing is, is not killing. Not all murder is created equal. What you got? You got first degree murder. That's premeditated murder. That often results in death penalty in most states. And then there's what? Secondary degree murder. Any law experts know what secondary degree murder is? Okay. Is that is that it? Is that accurate? Thank you for that demonstration, Brady. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I don't. I forgot second and third degree. All right. They define it a very specific way. And then you get to what's called justifiable homicide oh snap justifiable homicide that's what i'm talking about right and so if a man creates danger to your family and in order to prevent that danger you strike that man i mean it's it's more than self-defense in some sense it's a justifiable homicide and then there's uh involuntary manslaughter you know, I had, a, I had a, a friend. Well, he's not my friend. He's a, he's a Philly dude, though. The Philly people are crazy. They're violent. Very violent. This guy, one time he came home, and his sister's boyfriend was drunk, act, acting fool, right? Just getting all violent and abusive. And this guy's a lot smaller than his sister's boyfriend. And so the guy was all threatening and getting all loud in the house. So the little dude went upstairs and got a baseball bat. And said, hey, you need to calm down. This is my house. You need to calm down. And the guy said, man, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do something to you. He said something, right? And so the other guy, <laughs> baseball bat. But, you know, he's Philly. Went a little crazy in the middle of the swings. Thought he was trying to do a home run at the World Series or something. And it killed him. Now, but, but it wasn't excessive to the degree that it could prove that he was intentionally trying to kill him. It was a blow that was unfortunate. That causes some kind of internal bleeding that led to that guy's death. He got like five years in jail and after two years got paroled. And he was uh, dating my good Korean American friend. <laughs> That's how I know about the story. Anyway, man, not all, not all killing and murder is, is uh, created equal. Um, so, all right, man, maybe I have to. Share this at another time. 
Uh, to conclude, to conclude, uh, I just want to cover two things just to conclude. Real quick, I'm going to do real quick. I'm going to do real quick. I'm going to do real quick. <laughs> Why is it helpful uh, for us to define different degrees of sin? It's because when a Christian sins, there's two things that happen. Well, let me point out one thing that does not happen. Your legal standing before God remains unchanged. No matter how horrible of a sin you commit, even if it's murder, all right, the blood of Jesus Christ covers it all. The Bible says past, present, and future. There is no sin that intimidates the blood of Jesus Christ. Salvation is not based on our merits or efforts, but it's a free gift of God. Okay? So when we sin, our legal standing never changes. But, this is what Campus Crusade kind of helped draw out. Our second, one thing that does happen, that's what doesn't happen. What, two things that does happen. One is our fellowship with God gets disrupt, disrupt, disrupted. Our fellowship with God gets disru- disrupted. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That means that there are stupid, foolish things that you can do to grieve the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the Bible says... In Hebrews chapter 12, that uh, we can cause sorrow to God's heart. And when we disobey God, God the Father is grieved and he, gets, he, gets in, he intervenes by bringing discipline to those who he loves. The second, it disrupts your relationship with God in the sense that you can also bring displeasure to the heart of God the Father. Revelation chapter 3, Jesus speaking to the church of Laodicea says that those whom I love, I reprove and chasten. So be zealous and repent. Meaning that when churches and Christians, they sin, Jesus also, he gets greatly disturbed. And so what you have here is our fellowship with all persons of the Godhead, the triune God, can be disrupted by our sin. Um. Regarding the need for regular confession and repentance of sin, Jesus reminds us that we are to pray daily, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Right? And so why do, why do we need to confess our sin? It's because we need to remove that disruption. Our legal standing doesn't change, but our fellowship needs to be restored. Now what, what happens is, man, man, there's a good popular preacher in Singapore which, who I will not... Re- who I will not mention right now. All right, I, I'm trying to stop doing that. Or I'm trying to stop that. But man, he, t- he teaches an interpretation of 1 John 1, 9 that I absolutely disagree with. He interprets it to mean that uh, we don't have to confess our sins anymore because Jesus is taking care of all sins under the cross. So we don't, the practice of confessing sins is not necessary. You just need to kind of get over it, shift your mind, and then, and then you're good. Okay? Hey, but it's spreading in the charismatic movement. I just don't agree. Why? Why would Jesus teach us to pray? All right? Forgive us our sins. He says, pray like this. Forgive us our sins. Because I know how knucklehead of y'all can be. When you do some foolish, stupid things, you need to forgive. You need to ask for forgiveness and forgive others. Another thing that happens, not only does our fellowship get with God get disrupted, but our witness, our fruitfulness gets limited or damaged. And... You know, it gets worse uh, the higher up you go in maturity and authority, right? 
man, I mean, I, you know, you know, I still, I still wrestle with road rage. And when Pastor Benjamin was here a few weeks ago, let me confess what happened. We were on our way to the retreat. Praise music's playing on the stereo. We're talking about deep revelations of God. We're drinking deep of the presence of God. I mean, the whole car was just filled with the presence of God. And Aletheia is crying. Right? We're just all in there. We're just enjoying that time on our way to the retreat. And some folio will not let me merge into the lane to get onto the highway. And, you know, and then the highway, the, the, road, the road was kind of running out of room. And so, man, I need to get in. I'm like right next to the cone. I need to get in. Let me in. And this guy driving this black SUV thinks he owns the world. And he just presses the gas. Almost hits the car. I said, oh, we can play that. So I rearranged and I pressed the gas myself. I tried to get in there and stop real quick. Now, mind you, Pastor Benjamin is right next to me. (laughs) And then the guy does the same thing. I do the same thing. Did I, did I get the spot though, honey? Did I get in? I can't remember what happened. <laughs> Things got a little blurry after that. <laughs> uh, anyway, man, I don't know. I forgot. Anyway, as he's driving by, I rolled down my window. <laughs> all right. The guy rolled down his window. And all I said was in a, in a general way, yo, what's up? You know what the guy did? He stuck out his middle finger at me. I said, oh, okay, you from America. Let's do this then. I'll give you more than a finger. Man, I just wanted to fight him. I just wanted to fight him, and I felt like I could beat him. I could kill him. I just wanted to fight him. I'm sorry. Now, I'm being honest. I just wanted to fight him. And, and after all this, we're, we're driving to the retreat, and everybody's silent. And it took me a minute. It took me a minute to start thinking, man, that was really embarrassing. <laughs> I was so angry, angry. And I was, that's embarrassing. What just happened? Poor Alethea, you know. You know, Uncle Christian. Got road rage issues. And Aaron's in the back. Oh. Aaron sees it, you know, too many times, right? It's too frequent. But you know what I appreciate about Pastor Benjamin. I thought he was going to be like, I can't believe you just did that. You're a pastor. You should know better. I thought he was going to rebuke me. Right? But no, he was so gentle with me. He was so gracious with me. And he's just, I don't know what he said. He was just gracious. <laughs> yeah, I think he made a joke like, oh, you know, I hope Alethea doesn't see that again or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> he just made a joke. What did he say? Man, I don't remember, man. My mind kept going back to that middle finger. (laughs) I will kill you, sucker. Get out your car. Get out your car. Bring it. That was embarrassing. Anyway. You know, you know what I thought about when I was driving to the retreat? 
I was, I was thinking, man, I'm glad there was no video camera. I'm glad that what just happened wasn't video streamed to the whole rest of my congregation. Why? I'm your pastor. You know? But, you know, but, you know some, of, some of y'all might be like, man, I'm not coming back to this church. You guys have an unstable, road rage pastor. I'm not coming back to this church. That's dangerous. But, but man, you know, I share the story because I'm not afraid to get judged by y'all because you're very gracious. Just like Pastor Benjamin, we have a lineage that's very gracious. Very gracious. And actually, that grace makes me want to root out this issue even more. Because I'm thinking, man, it is only by the grace of God that my ministry hasn't been ruined. You know, I can think back on my life, and because I grew up in the streets, and I was always in violent altercations, I'm used to fighting. But you know, when I got to high school, I wanted to fight every person that crossed my path, that disrespected me. That was just the language that I grew up with, right? I wasn't even that good of a fight. I'm a small guy, right? But I took wrestling when I was in high school, and I, I was like, I could beat anybody after I took wrestling. But anyway... I remember incidents in the library, incidents on what's called the South Lawn of my high school, where all of the uh, gothic people hang out. <laughs> One time I hung, I hung on the, their tree of life. With, there's like a rope on their tree of life, and I was just hanging upside down. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and all the gothic kids with their hair down, they're like, hey, you just touched our tree of life. Are you a freshman? I'm like, man, I don't need to answer that question. We're going to roll you down this hill. I'm like, well, I'm, I wish you would try and make me, roll, make me roll, roll me down the hill. And then my sister came in and she said, no, he's my brother. I later found out she was hanging out with those gothic friends the year before. So they're, they, right away, they just, they just, oh, that's Aaron's brother. Oh, okay, all right, we'll let you go. Yeah, 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 cute. I remember that was like the first week of school. I, I could have gotten suspended on the first week of school. And I think back in my life, there are so many incidents like that where, where I had, I came so close. I came so close to violence. I came so close to dying. Even after I became uh, Campus Crusade staff, there's so many incidents in which God intervened. And I just feel like God's saying, all right, let's, let's get it all out. And I'm asking God, how? I said, well, here's the thing. The higher up you go in influence, the greater the fall if you ever do Snap. Where I'm taking you, I can't have you even hint of going back to those ways. It needs to go. For to whom much is given, much more is required. So I com- I, I'm sharing that story not to say, oh, you know, you know, I'm a sinner just like you guys. <laughs> I'm confessing that to say... Man, I need to get the road rage out. This needs to go. This needs to go. I can't afford to keep hanging on to this. 
every time we give in to certain sins of our past, you know what it is? The Bible says we, the, uh, the sinful nature wages war against our soul. It's like giving shelter and food in a war to the enemy's troops. Every time you give in to that lust, you give in to that anger, you give in to that rage, you are providing food and shelter and then wondering, why can't I get free from this? No, we just need to treat them like the Egyptians. They just need to go permanently. All right, I'm closing prayer. Let's close in prayer. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that I pray that, that this wisdom, this word would just build up the thinking and faith of each person in this room, whether they're a visitor or a member. And I just pray that, Father, that each, as each person matures in Christ and grows in Christian influence, I pray that our fear of the Lord will grow and that our determination to be free from certain old patterns will come to a place where we permanently deal with certain sin patterns and eliminate them from our lives. By your grace, God, we know that we can walk in purity, in holiness, and in victory. Lord, we don't want... To come to a place of great influence like King David. And then do something foolish that results in terrible consequences. Not only for our own family, but for the family of God. Lord, far be it from us, Lord, to act so foolishly. May the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom and understanding, keep us from all evil. Purify your bride. And we look forward to your coming. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, God.